This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it! Give me a vacation! Vacation! Give me a wave! Surfing! Give me a city tour! The trolley! Give me animals! The zoo! Give me some sea life! <laughs> Give me museums! Park. Give me a woo! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Saber Production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we're talking about bullion. Yes. Another listener suggestion. Mm-hmm. And I, I wanted to include uh the letter that Ginger wrote, uh, because it did it got my brain turning. Some questions I had not considered. Uh-huh. Uh, so Ginger wrote. I'm dying to know why pork broth isn't more common, especially in American cuisine. Chicken and beef broth are obviously widely available and used, and even turkey broth I feel I've seen more commonly than pork broth. Is there a reason America doesn't use it? Is it because of the fat or salt content, or is it something about the history of broth? Only you can answer my query. (laughs) Well, I had not considered this, and I did start paying attention to because I do use a lot of bouillon and I have not ever used pork bouillon and I never really thought about it until a ginger pointed this out. But I did see that it is available at the store. Yeah. I just generally use chicken bouillon, but I saw that pork was an option. Yeah. Um I personally possess chicken, beef, and um a, a like specialty pho bouillon. Ooh. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's my that's my favorite for like actually sometimes when we're playing D&D, like if I want like snack, but I yeah. don't want to just be like crunching on popcorn in everyone's faces via Zoom, mm-hmm. um then yeah, I'll make myself a cup of pho bouillon. Oh, well, that's very considerate of you. <laughs> <laughs> I do a similar thing, um, especially if I get cold. 
and I just really want something warm and salty, but I'm not hungry, mm-hmm, I'll mm-hmm. make um, like bouillon and I'll just sip on it. And it's lovely. It is Very lovely. Good. Oh, gosh. Uh, yeah, I have to say, Ginger, I, I'm, I'm sorry, we don't really get to the bottom of the pork versus chicken and beef situation in this episode. Yes. Well, I mean, that's that gives you something to look forward to. You, you know, <laughs> savers on the case and we'll get <laughs> to the bottom of it. I did look it up. I, I did look it up. And most people seemed, and I'm talking like Reddit threads. Oh, okay. So not uh-huh. like <laughs> uh, super official or research or anything. But it seems to have just kind of be a cultural thing yeah, like yeah it's used pork broth is used a lot more in these reddit threads uh, according to these users in uh, like um spanish or latin american cuisine and in, here in the u.s we just went with chicken and beef yeah primarily. and i wonder yeah we we do have to look into this because i i, I feel like if americans are going to incorporate pork into their dishes they're either going to do it through like pork bones like like a like in like a salt pork kind of way like in a split pea soup kind of way um mm-hmm. like a ham hock yeah or yeah. we're just gonna heck and add bacon to it yeah that's true especially in in at least in my anecdotal experience in southern cuisine where that was very big part of my uh vegetables growing up and also, I know I've talked about it before on the show, but my little brother is vegetarian and kind of announced this in what felt to me very randomly <laughs> at Thanksgiving, which was a very stressful time. Um, but the the bullion aspect and the things like that, that was the biggest thing where I kept having to be like, nope, vegetarian. Yeah. You can't just put, you like, can't chicken, just put chicken stock in, in there. Yeah. Mm-mm. Yeah. 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 So that is interesting. We'll have to circle back and revisit this pork broth in the U.S. question. But for now. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Yes. Let us get to our question. Bouillon. What is it? Well, uh, bouillon is a bit of a tricky term. Um, But what we're talking about here today is a uh, broth or stock that's concentrated and made shelf-stable, usually in a dry format, often in these individually wrapped cubes. So I guess, yeah, you could say that bouillon is a type of, like, salty, savory meat or vegetable tea. (laughs) Meat or vegetable tea. It sounds weird, but it is. I mean, that's essentially what we're doing. It makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. It it also comes in powders and pastes. Uh, It's often used as a seasoning in soups or stews or sauces, other liquidy recipes um, to give an extra oomph for a low cost. Uh, Because because bouillon is concentrated, it does often pack an impressive uh, salty and savory punch, especially for the the, the buy-in cost. Mm -hmm. And it does come in as many flavors as broths and stocks themselves come in, um, flavored with all kinds of base ingredients plus herbs and spices. And uh, terminology note, the first, the difference between broth and stock in, in American usage is that stock is traditionally made using bones, which means you get more gelatin in the resulting product, which makes it silkier. Um, broth, mm-hmm. meanwhile, is traditionally made without bones, which is why the term bone broth makes me really tired. <laughs> I'm like, there's a word for that, and it's stock. It's stock. You could just call it stock. 
But it doesn't have the alliteration, Lauren. I, you know, this is why I dropped out of marketing. (laughs) Right here. (laughs) Yes. Bone broth. (laughs) (laughs) I did drop out of marketing, not because of bone broth, but anyway. uh, Yeah, so... um, Uh, Any type of uh, meat, any type of vegetables in any combination can go into a bouillon. Um, Chicken, beef, and vegetable are the three most common flavors in the U.S., but various markets also do indeed have pork and fish bouillons. And you can also find a specially seasoned bouillon like the aforementioned pho bouillon in uh, Vietnamese markets or uh, like a a heady, smoky, fish-flavored naija pot in Nigerian markets, all kinds of different stuff. I got to get my hands on some of that pho bouillon. I didn't know that was a thing. Oh. But you know I love pho. And I I need I need it. It is <laughs> it is it, it's got that 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 beautiful like kind of delicate floral spice, like kind of clovey sort of thing to it. I think I found mm-hmm. it at the Buford Highway Farmers Market. Oh. Yeah. A journey for and, me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Especially these days. Oh goodness. <laughs> Have you gone so far since quarantine? No, I don't know that I have. (laughs) I think maybe like once I've gone a distance, but other than that, (laughs) it's however long my apartment is. (laughs) So, yes, maybe it's time to journey forth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Hey, you've you've got that you've got that second dose of vaccine, so and I could really use some pho, <laughs> some oh. bouillon for it. Yes. <laughs> oh no. Um, uh, I will say that the meaty flavor of bouillon doesn't always necessarily come from meat. Uh, uh, savory, um, aka umami flavors come from many sources. Uh, yes, meat, but also things like mushrooms, tomatoes, cheeses, beans, uh, many fermented foods. And on an industrial scale, it's cheaper to get those flavors out of plants. Specifically, what our taste buds and brains react to when we experience savory is glutamic acid, which is a, a type of amino acid that just about all living things use in their cells to help create proteins. Um, So it comes bound up in proteins, but you can extract it from those proteins using a process called hydrolysis, which is just a fancy way of saying that um, that water molecules are involved in breaking other molecules apart. So you can use cheap sources like wheat or soy or other vegetation or or even farm-friendly bacteria or or yeast um, to get you just a whole bunch of proteins and then isolate out the uh, glutamic acid. And often food manufacturers wind up um, using any of of several salt forms of glutamic acid uh, called glutamates. Um, And yes, monosodium glutamate, or MSG, is one of these. Um, Many bouillons do include some amount of extracts or fat from animals to uh, to help provide the the correct flavor and texture. But, but, you know, just to give it that chickeny punch. (laughs) Chickeny punch? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I immediately am nervous, and I think that that says a lot about me. <laughs> I, I do have a lot of leftover feelings from that game, the Zelda game, Legend of Zelda. And those chickens, they didn't like it. They would give you the chicken punch if you try to pick them up. No. Mm-hmm. No. And you didn't well, want it. Oh. Mm-mm. <laughs> Chicken violence, gosh. (laughs) (laughs) 
I I will say I am mildly terrified of birds, and I certainly That's do not true. trust chickens. Are they like up there of your least untrustworthy birds? Uh, they're not really big enough to do the same kind of damage as like geese or something mm. like that. Like mm-hmm. I mean, like I believe that a chicken would eat my eyeballs if it could. Ah. But I think geese are a much more clear and present danger. <laughs> you think so? Do you encounter a lot of geese in your day-to-day? <laughs> I mean, not like right now. I mean, I'm not really like going out to geese-laden areas at the current moment. But uh, mm-hmm. but cert- I mean, waterfowl mean business, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> meanwhile, bullion... More terminology fun. Uh, In French, the word for broth is bouillon. Um, So if you are, for example, attempting to do a bunch of reading about it on the internet, um, that can get a little tricky. Um, The term bouillon is also used for a particular type of restaurant in France. Um, Originally, a sort of like market hall dining room that served Mm -hmm. quick, cheap but nutritious lunches, um, including cups of broth. Yes. Yes, and I was talking to Lauren about this beforehand, and I cannot believe I never put that together because I knew about that. (laughs) But they were just so separate in my mind for some reason that I just was oblivious (laughs) (laughs) to this whole bouillon broth French connection. Oh, French connection. Oh. Oh. (laughs) You learn something all the time on this show. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, and uh, and, and yes, you can make bouillon at home. It does not need to be store bought. Uh, recipes abound. You can uh, reduce a homemade broth or stock to a concentrate and then dehydrate it, or uh, make a make a vegetarian powder with stuff like uh, nutritional yeast and herbs and spices. If if this is a thing that you are interested in, it is out there. Definitely. Well, what about the nutrition? Uh. It depends. Uh, Bouillon is a concentrate and tends to be heavy on the sodium, um, partially because sodium is a good preservative as well as a flavor enhancer. Usually they also contain a bit of sugar for the same reasons and uh, fat for flavor and adhesion in terms of uh, cubes and pastes anyway. And the the small bit of fat and protein in there will help keep you going. Not going to particularly do anything to fill you up. Um, But yeah, I don't know. Read your labels. Hydrate. Always hydrate. Mm-hmm. I mean, for your, I just feel like every time I have warm bouillon, my my heart, my mental health. Uh, ah, yes. Yes. Mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> we do have some numbers for you. Mm-hmm. So bouillon slash stock slash broth cubes are a staple pretty much worldwide. According to some sources, Nor, which is one of the biggest sellers of bouillon cubes, and I think that's what I grew up with mostly, um, sells about 600 million cubes a second around the world. Ten of those in the U.S., yep. Uh, Nor reported that during the pandemic, sales jumped up by 70%. Hmm. Which makes sense, but wow. (laughs) Many regions around the world have a preferred brand of bouillon. In Central and West Africa, it's Maji, where 100 million cubes are sold a day. But there are also local varieties. Mexico Mm -hmm. and Indonesia are the top markets for Noor, though the U.S. is in fourth. And I found a lot of really delightful stories about 
people in, in different areas around the world and uh, the bouillon that they grew up with and how it's just a staple in so many yeah, nostalgic yeah. food items for them. Yes. A separate episode because I also got tired, Lauren, but uh, bone broths <laughs> have been a pretty substantial, they've been having a pretty substantial moment for the past few years. And we're going to touch on some of that, but I think it could be its a whole thing. Oh, 20,000% separate episode. Um, and I mean, and we have talked about that a little bit in our Aspic episode. Mm-hmm. And maybe somewhere else. It's like pinging in the back of my brain that that might have been a topic somewhere else. But at any rate, yeah. Yes, yes. And, and certainly in episodes like like FA. Uh, sure. We might sure. not have touched on that, but we've we're talking about aspects of this whole broth bouillon stock conversation. <laughs> oh, but we've got a lot of history. We've got enough history for this one already. We certainly do, and we are going to get into that as soon as we get back from a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. Roller coaster. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) 
And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. So, if we're talking soup, the history most likely goes back as long as humans have been doing even the most basic cooking. Yeah, yeah. Like, discovery of fire. Soup. Soup. (laughs) Uh, Because soup is easy to make and easy to digest for all ages and types of peoples, rich and poor, nomadic and sedentary, and often recommended medicinally for the ill, which I, I it still is <laughs> to this day. Mm-hmm. And by soup, I, I could also just mean broth, a very simple, basic thing. Warriors in what is now Hungary during the 14th century may have boiled beef down to pieces, dried it out, and ground it up into a powder and carried it with them to be mixed with water if necessary. I know we talked about that in a ramen episode, which is also sort of a legend around samurai, mm-hmm. if that actually happened. But, you know, there are stories like that throughout history. The predecessors to bouillon cubes go back to at least the late 17th century when people cooked with and ate what are called, what were called pocket soups. Portable soups are veal glue, G-L-E-W. A 1694 cookbook included a recipe for veal glue that instructed readers to boil down a leg of veal, reduce and cool the broth until it came together in a gelatinous slab uh, about the size of a hand, and then wrapping that slab in dry paper where it could keep for, quote, many years. All right, Mm. sure. Yeah. Hannah Glass, who wrote The Art of Cookery Made Plain and Easy, first published in 1747, had a more complicated take on portable soup. The ingredients included two legs of beef and anchovies, onions, and a variety of spices like thyme, mace, cloves, black and white pepper, cloves, more cloves, marjoram, (laughs) along with, quote, the dry hard crust of a two-penny loaf. (laughs) all boiled together until it resulted in, quote, a very rich, good jelly, um, which took about eight or nine hours. From there, it was strained, further cooked, until it resembled a, quote, stiff glue, dried, and packaged. However, it doesn't appear (laughs) that these early versions of portable soup are well-liked, and they were more viewed as a food of hardship or for sailors or explorers. Napoleon Bonaparte himself reportedly once said, an army travels on its stomach, soup makes the soldier. In Patrick O'Brien's 20-book series that takes place on the seas during the Napoleonic Wars, that was first published in 1969 with Master and Commander, um, in these books, portable soup was often derided. (laughs) One character described portable soup thusly, I thought it was lukewarm glue, but it goes down quite well if you don't breathe. <laughs> not, not high praise. Well. Um, and later in the series, the doctor on the boat is uh, tossing slabs of portable soup into the sea to let off some steam. I haven't read them, but from what I could tell, it was about the portable soup and other things, but uh, huh. not well liked. <laughs> huh. For his journey to Australia in 1772, Captain James Cook transported with him 1,000 pounds of portable soup. Prior to eating, it was boiled with water and some flour was mixed in. The records indicate that sailors who turned down the soup were flogged. Oh, wow. I know. Don't waste food. Jeez. Don't waste food. But can you imagine if something is bad enough that you're a sailor on a ship and you're like, nope. No, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I will not do it. (laughs) Not 
everyone hated it, though. One supporter was William Byrd II, who was a planter out of Virginia. After a difficult journey, he, so he was, like, exploring in the swamp, I believe. And uh, he, after this journey, he recommended what was called glue broth, specifically to travelers in 1726 as, quote, a wholesome kind of food, a very small weight, and very great nourishment that will secure them from starving in case they should be so unlucky as to meet with no game. He even had a recipe and postulated that the resulting, quote, solid substance could last quite long with two pounds being enough for a six-month journey. According to him, quote, should you be fainting with fasting or fatigue, let a small piece of this glue melt in your mouth and you will find yourself surprisingly refreshed. Glue broth. (laughs) When Lewis and Clark set off to explore North America in 1804, they didn't bring too much with them in the way of food. Um, They were planning on foraging and hunting for a majority of it. However, they did bring 193 pounds of portable soup, a dehydrated mix of eggs, vegetables, and beef broth um, for dietary emergencies. Records suggest that they didn't have to break it out until 1805. However, (laughs) apparently it wasn't very good, and the men decided to kill and roast one of the horses instead. So, yeah, not good still. (laughs) An American-born British physicist named Benjamin Thompson, also known as Count Rumford, who we've talked about before, Mm -hmm. um, went about creating something for the Duke of Bavaria, uh, the army. Um, They're arriving at this, like, solidified stock boiled down meat and trimmings and bones in the 18th century. He went on to set up uh, kitchens and serve this stock to the impoverished and hungry. In 1760, beef tea... A drink made of boiled-down beef was advertised in Dublin as a health tonic. An ad read, When it's cold, decant a pint of beef tea from beef, which looks like a light infusion of fine green tea. It has a very grateful flavor and is more strengthening than stronger broths. (laughs) Grateful flavor. (laughs) Um, It was typically viewed as something for the unwell. Florence Nightingale even wrote about beef tea in 1860. Beef tea may be chosen as an illustration of great nutrient power and sickness. There is a certain reparative quality in it. We do not know what, as there is in tea, but it may be safely given in almost any inflammatory disease where much nourishment is required. So high words from Florence Nightingale. High words. Uh, High praise, I suppose. High praise, yeah. In the 1850s, a physician wrote, Everyone will be struck with the readiness with which certain classes of patients will often take beef tea repeatedly when they refuse all other kinds of food. This is particularly remarkable in the case of gastric fever in which little or nothing else besides beef tea has been taken for weeks. The result is so striking. What is its mode of action? Possibly it belongs to a new denomination of remedies. However... (laughs) The tune of physicians uh, was changing by the 1880s when medical experts expressed doubt of the nutritional and health qualities of BT and even were like, this might be bad for you. (laughs) So a little shift there. Bouillon, consommes, and brass are thought to have been some of the first items served at some of the very first Western restaurants in the 18th century Paris. 
In fact, bouillon was often the principal dish at these markets. Um, It was called bouillon restaurant or restorative broth, uh, just like you were talking about earlier, Lauren. And that this this whole thing is perhaps where the word restaurant comes from, because the French verb restaurer means to restore oneself. And uh, and note that this wouldn't have been uh, uh, bouillon from concentrate, but fresh broth or or consommé. Uh, consommé being a, a type of clarified broth. Um, at the height of their popularity in the late eighteen and early nineteen hundreds, there were about two hundred and fifty um, of these places in Paris, and their popularity did spread overseas. It was um or to to to, to a certain extent, it was posh in some parts of the United States through the nineteen thirties to serve a cup of broth alongside lunches and dinners. Um, There were even like small, these small cups specifically for serving broth in, sometimes with these specialized short-handled spoons that were meant to rest in the cups. Um, But sometimes serving it with a spoon was absolutely wrong. Uh, (laughs) It was a whole thing. Yeah. Of course it was. Um, (laughs) And that's a whole thing that gives someone like me a lot of stress because I'm like, I don't, (laughs) I just want to get this into my face. Oh, don't laugh at me. Oh, my medieval <laughs> times experience. Oh. No. Oh, boy. You can listen to that episode for more on that, but basically I burnt the heck out of my mouth because I didn't know what to do <laughs> with the broth. <laughs> Dip the bread in it, everyone. Okay. At the request of Napoleon III to find a way to deliver one million cans of beef to soldiers fighting in the Franco-Prussian War... Scottish chemist John Lawson Johnston created what he called fluid beef. In 1886, uh, this company was rebranded as Bovril or Bovril, and it took off, becoming a huge part of English culture and identity. I hear it's a big thing at uh, football games in Europe, which we would call soccer here in North America, where you come with the thermos of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Very big pop culture thing. Um, and at one point, the Pope was used in a Bovril ad without his permission. I had to do some digging because a lot of people are like, the Pope, it's the only item the Pope has officially endorsed. From what I can tell, no. Did he not did officially not. approve that. <laughs> but was in the ad, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the perception of portable soup did change over time. European gentlemen visiting the country during the late 18th century were sometimes encouraged via newspapers to enjoy it, uh, claiming that they would, quote, find it highly convenient to have along with them a few canisters of portable soups by which they can in a few minutes be provided with a wholesome, pleasing, and ready beverage. And in the mid-19th century, chef Alexis Soyer improved upon the recipe for portable soup to use as sustenance for soldiers fighting in the Crimean War. Soye was heavily involved in military nutrition, um, devising diets for army hospitals and soldiers uh, for maximum nutrition. He trained military cooks and invented a field stove. His portable soup was called coarse julienne and was sort of a a really vegetable-heavy cake. And these cakes did have just a lot of vegetables in them, julienne and dried, 20 pounds of cabbage, carrots and turnips, 15 pounds of onions, 10 pounds leeks and parsnips, 5 pounds celery, and 1 pound of mixed seasonings. And when boiled in water, this portable soup cake could feed 100 soldiers. Also in the 19th century, technological innovations led to canned and dehydrated soups. Three European uh, companies arrived at 
these innovations around bouillon cubes around the same time, beginning in 1847 with a German chemist named Justus von Liebig, um, who came up with a method for creating an extract by concentrating beef solids. But at the time, European meat was too expensive for this to be commercially viable. Uh, he was working with, among others, one uh, Karl Heinrich uh, Rithausen, who's credited with first isolating uh, glutamic acid. Liebig found a cheaper meat source in Uruguay, allowing for his company, which was named Liebig's Extract of Meat Company, to debut a liquid bouillon in 1899 called OXO, or perhaps it's O-X-O. It's all capitalized. I think it's OXO, though. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um, <laughs> I don't know either. Yeah. <laughs> we, we tried. We tried to get to the bottom of it. Admittedly, we didn't put too much effort in there, but <laughs> anyway. Um, at the same time, a German food manufacturer named Karl Heinrich Theodor Nor was experimenting with dehydrated foods and arrived at dried soups in 1873. And in the 1880s, Julius Magie, who was a Swiss miller and a food manufacturer that produced dried soups, discovered that meat flavors could be pulled out of wheat using acid hydrolysis. This was a lower-cost way to get that meat flavor in dried mixes without the meat. He went on to invent the bouillon cube using acid hydrolysis in 1908 when he introduced it to Europe commercially, um, although it probably did include at least a little bit of beef extract. Oxo and Nor followed with their own versions of bouillon cubes in 1910. Yeah, uh, so many brands entered the market um, in a five-year period that the Journal of Industrial and Engineering Chemistry published an article exploring the the chemical content of of 10 top brands in 1913. Yeah, and these cubes quickly spread the world over. Um, OXO provided 100 million foil wrap cubes to the British soldiers during World War I. Early advertisements of these cubes claimed that they had health benefits and could improve the taste of dishes. Nora was available in eight countries by the 1950s. And I did not go down this rabbit hole, but this rabbit hole does exist of the tin foil wrapping around these cubes and the whole innovation behind that. I was like, this is so seemingly boring and I want to know everything about it. But <laughs> Fucho, Fucho, Fucho. <laughs> <laughs> and another separate episode. Um, but also... In 1908, a Japanese chemist named Ikeda Kikune derived monosodium glutamate, or MSG, which did and does play a big role in bouillon. Kikune um, came up with the word umami as well. Yeah, um, and we talked a little bit about this in our artificial flavors episode and in our ramen episode. But yeah, so in parallel to the uh, European development of, uh, of of these portable soups, the, the drying and preservation of ingredients like a kombu uh, or a type of kelp and bonito, a type of fish, for, for use in this particular type of Japanese broth called dashi broth was, was developing over the course of thousands of years um, and today is available in uh, powdered and liquid concentrates, just like bouillon is. Um, but yeah, I think that that's a kind of separate Separate episode. Yes. Oh, yes. In the 1930s, food scientist Sir Jack Drummond tried a sample from a cake of portable soup believed to have come from Captain Cook's supplies. Oh. Yeah. His review, it, quote, changed very little. Oh. Well, which there you go. does not say that it was good. <laughs> <laughs> but that it did change very little. <laughs> 
1947, uh, Nestle acquired Miji, um, leading to global distribution and uh, global expansion of its product lines. And the term stock cube was first recorded in the 1960s. And I found a very fun paper about why we don't use that in the United States, um, that term so much. But not really interesting enough to put in here. (laughs) But I liked it. (laughs) Is it something to do with us being really impressed by uh, by French cuisine? Yeah. Pretty much. We were like, oh, that sounds fancier. <laughs> Bouillon sounds fancier, so. Great. That's the one. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, yeah, and uh, d- due to the popularity of bouillon in areas where uh, fresh foods are expensive or, or otherwise unavailable or, um, or people are short on time um, for, for cooking, uh, research has and is currently being done into how we can fortify bouillon with um, with important nutrients like iodine, vitamin A, and iron. Um, and especially doing so, I mean, not just like putting iron in a bouillon cube, but but doing it in bioavailable ways to to to, to help people out. And um, I have mixed feelings about this. On the one hand, I think it's great anytime that we can get better nutrition through products that people are already using. Um, and on the other hand, I think. It's real weird when companies like, say, Nestle um, spend a lot of time and research not into improving the types of food available to people, but into making (sighs) less nutritious. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, there's our title (laughs) the souped up bouillon episode. Well. Sometimes the titles come to you, and you can't say no. It's just the natural order it of is. the pun title. It is. That's just it. That's just where it, where it lives sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Goodness. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and I guess that that's that's what we have to say about bullion for today. It is, but we do have some listener mail for you. But first, we've got one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. 
I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with... Listener mail. A nice warm hug. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Amanda wrote, I am sorry I keep bothering you with emails, (laughs) but your recent Pokemon food episode, particularly your rant regarding removing Slowpoke's tails, reminded me of a real-life food. There is something called a stone crab in which the fishermen harvest one or both of the crab's claws, releasing the crab back to regrow the missing claws. This was slightly horrifying to young (laughs) 20-something me, but we had to try it. There was a place in Miami, Joe's Stone Crab, where we had the most delicious meal and were treated just delightfully by our server despite showing up underdressed for the occasion. I would highly recommend it if you're in the area. There also was, four years ago when we visited, a takeout market next door where you could instead pick up to eat um, on the beach or wherever. I also wanted to thank you for all the recent listener mail episodes. Every time I spot one in my feed, I audibly shout at my phone and joy heart emoji. Aww. Um, the content of your regular episodes is just wonderful, but I must admit the listener mail episodes are just my favorite thing. Oh, lastly, regarding coffee, I just had to share slash brag that I found a local roaster with a coffee subscription, and he will deliver you locally roasted coffee monthly or bi-weekly for a reasonable price. It's been one of the best things ever, with it being so difficult to grocery shop with the little ones. I also found a website that will deliver, among hundreds of other foods and items locally made, frozen dim sum, Haha, ha, yes. Um, a bit so great to just have a stash in the freezer for me and the five-year-old when we are craving some. Oh, I want all the crabs <laughs> and the dim sum and the coffee. Oh. <laughs> yes. I can't wait to do a crab episode. I am so ready because crabs are weird. <laughs> And they do this thing called a jubilee, and I, I've got to know more about it. I, okay. I just got to. All right. Upcoming upcoming crab episode. Into it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, oh, and now I'm wondering if we need to do, like, multiple crab episodes. If we need to, like, yeah. Yeah. I think they're weird enough that we could split it up. Well, you know, we'll do the initial reading. Mm-hmm. 
see what see what it seems like. Uh, mm-hmm. And if we need more than one crab episode, who am I? Who am I to deny the world of crabs? You don't want to. They mean <laughs> they will. They will pinch you. I've seen the or gif of the one with the knife. With knife. I'm not gonna yes. not gonna tell it different. Yes. Oh heck, uh, Shannon wrote. I had to write in about the Scrapple episode. While I've never eaten it, I do have fond childhood memories about it. I live in Maryland, and every summer when driving to Ocean City on the eastern shore of Maryland, we would cut through part of Delaware to get there. One of the small towns we would drive through was Bridgeville, home of Rappa Scrapple. My siblings and I had a game about who could spot the Rappa Scrapple sign first. We grew up in the 80s or 90s and had to find a way to entertain ourselves besides car bingo during the three-hour drive. Seeing the sign was exciting because it let us know we were getting closer to arriving at the beach. I also remember the smell of Scrapple cooking when my grandma would cook it for breakfast during our week at the beach. It's not a smell you forget. Smiley face. (laughs) (laughs) I continue to love all these Scrapple emails. Yes. They keep coming. Keep them coming. Uh. Um. I also had a game. We had a sign-based game when I was a kid. There's this restaurant uh, in Gulf Shores, and there's one in Missouri, too. Anyway, it's called Lambert's Cafe, and they throw rolls at you. It's like their thing. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And their signs were upside down, but that's how we always knew we were getting close to the beach. Oh. when the signs yeah. started appearing. <laughs> it took me years to convince my family to finally go, because my dad was like, why would you pay to have someone throw food at you? He loved it. Once we went, he loved it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it sounds charming. It sounds perfectly nice. Those rolls are good. Oh, well, see, there you go. That's all you need. That's <laughs> all you... I, I, one time I asked, I was like, I can't, can I just get the rolls? Because they sort of come with the meal. <laughs> just throw them at you. Uh, <laughs> they're like, you've got to get something. <laughs> something else. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Oh, goodness. Oh, uh, yeah. And I, when I was growing up, my dad used to tell me to keep my eyes peeled, like, when I was really young. And I would put my hand over my eyes and just, like, narrow them and look. And that would keep me entertained for car rides. And it was, like, a running joke that I didn't get why that was so silly. Um, <laughs> he told me to keep my eyes peeled. I was looking around. <laughs> you were only following instructions. That's right. Look at any suspicious license plates because I was like, oh, what are you doing here, <laughs> Delaware? <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks as always to both of those listeners for writing in. If you would like to write to us, we would love to hear from you. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at SaverPod, and we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. 
Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at San Diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.